and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Flying Changes show. I am very pleased this morning to welcome Liz Eaton. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Um, Liz, <laughs> you have a passion for the connection between horse and human, emotional and physical, and how that makes a difference to the performance of the human and the horse and the partnership. So tell us just a little bit in your own words about what it is that you do and, and what makes you, you. Well, um, I call my business Equitation with Empathy because uh, I felt on my journey that there was something missing about um, the understanding of what was going on in the horse's mind and the rider's mind during training. Um, there was that old sort of adage in it in when I grew up and I was being trained about the need to be absolutely fearless all the time. And I don't think humans and horses are fearless all the time. And when they're struggling, it needs to be recognized uh, that that's going on so that we can help them move forward. Wow. Love that. Absolutely love that. That's incredible. And as we know, like I'm always bleating on about the fact that it is 80% mindset, 20% skill. Like you have to have the skill. It's really important. But if you can't execute the skill because you've got fear or you've got something going on in your mind, it's going to stop you. And it's the same with the horses, isn't it? They might be able to do something, but if they're too distracted because they're not feeling comfortable or they're worried about something in their surroundings or they're not they're not um, happy about what's going on, then they're not going to be able to perform either. So I, I'm 100% with you on that one. Um, so tell us then a little bit about that journey that, that brought you to the realisation that that's the way you wanted to be doing it and you wanted to do it in a different way and, and that you found that that worked. Well, <clears throat> um I wasn't a very natural horsewoman or athlete uh, in any shape or form. I, it took me ages to learn to do rising trot. I can remember it now and, and, and to learn to swim and I couldn't do a forward roll or anything like that. So uh, I was just drawn to horses. I just wanted to be with them 24 seven. And it was due to horses that I made the effort to um, be physically fitter and more agile um and <clears throat> i i left school at 16 and and went as a working pupil to wellington riding and started studying for my british horse society exams and it was there that it was sort of discovered that i had an affinity for the the difficult horses the ones that um other people didn't really want to ride because they were considered to be naughty um or challenging uh and I, I was always fascinated by them. Um, and then also I, I had an empathy for the riders that were struggling themselves with, um, with their ability physically or emotionally to cope with the horses underneath them. So I trained there for a few years and then uh, I started freelancing. So I started my own business when I was 18, which is really young, but... Um, I didn't fancy the idea of working for anyone else. I wanted to be able to strike out and do my own thing. So I started um, based at my parents' uh, farm near Horsham. And I, I did everything and anything that was available. Uh, I worked a few days in a riding school and I did grooming for people and 
and starting horses and so on. And then I uh, decided I, I wanted to go off traveling. So I took six months out and to cut a long story short, I ended up working in Australia uh, on a couple of stud farms, um, which was my first experience of natural horsemanship, although I didn't realize it at the time that that was what was going on, but it was um, just how they started uh, handling their youngsters out there. Uh, we had to get the young horses, um, the <clears throat> yearlings, rounded up um, and handled before sending them off to the sales. And they'd never been touched. They were really feral. So uh, we just worked in a round pen and basically did join up or some form of join up to get them to accept the halters and being handled by the humans. Um, and it was fascinating. It was my first real insight into working with, with horses that were almost uh, feral and hadn't been handled at all and, and how they viewed us and the relationship that we had to create with them to get them on board. So at so, that time, and then we'll get on to the rest of the story in a minute. Yeah. So we're going to pause in Australia. That's quite nice okay. pause, I think. We'll do that. Um, at that time, what did you realise then was you know really helping them what was what was really so different I mean obviously I know round pens and that kind of idea of join up and things probably was really new and certainly hadn't really been taken on that much in the UK perhaps but what was it though about the horses and the fact that they were probably the most feral things you're going to come across really isn't it I mean there really yeah. aren't very sort of wild horses around anymore um what was it about them that made you realise, oh, there's there's something there's something here. I, I'm beginning to understand these beings a little bit more, and and you know the difference with them and the humans. Well, uh, it was the fear actually. You you could see they were afraid because they they've been taken away from uh, the herd and put into an enclosed space with a human. Um, so so the fear was there and. What I really learned was from watching these guys, because they'd obviously done it lots of times before, and how completely laid back they were. Well, you know what the Australians are like anyway. They tend to be that way. But they, they, nothing was a problem. Whatever the horses did, they stayed really calm and uh, controlled their own fear, if they had any. I don't think they did. But they certainly didn't let any of their emotions show to the horses um, and they kept everything really calm so that the horses wanted to approach them it was none of it was done by force in any shape or form which was amazing considering we were under a time pressure as well uh, to get to get it done cool awesome so carry on then from that point so so you saw these cowboys <laughs> yeah um, and, and and then uh, another job that I had when I was out there was moving on from that was working on a, a small um, farm where the woman just had three or four mares and she bred uh, three or four foals every year and produced them for for the sales and she ha had a round pen with really deep sand uh, and she just lunged them but she allowed the horses to find their own balance. The sand encouraged the horses uh, to have to use their core because it was hard work to lift their feet out. So within a few weeks of just trotting around in this deep sand, they were already developing themselves 
into a good posture. They were using their core. They, they were moving their legs um, up and out of the sand. They were dropping their head and neck down so to find their balance and it was strengthening their back. And it, it made me realize that there were ways in which you could start uh, changing a horse's posture and getting them into a good way before even putting the rider on the back. Wow, that's awesome. So, I mean, obviously nowadays people would run away from like deep sand or anything like that. But what what was it? I mean, and, and I, it just made me think about treadmills because, of course, that's exactly what they're doing in a water treadmill, isn't it? Lifting, mm. lifting their foot out of the water or coming through the water and having to engage their core. So what are your thoughts on kind of have you have you used those kind of methods and things since then? Because you don't very often find like deep sand pens in the UK. Do you find a lot of it out in Australia, a lot of sand and things like that. But uh, what, what, so what have you managed to bring from even just that piece of learning into what you do now? Well, I, I think it was that um, you there were other ways of influencing a horse to find his balance and change his posture without gadgets. And, yeah. and OK, so 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 we're picking up the pieces of your learning along the way. So so what was yeah. the next part then? Where did you go next? I love this. Um, it's like a little mat round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I came back from my travels and I was a bit lost, to be honest. Um, it, you know, it is a bit of a shock coming back to the UK after being somewhere like like Australia. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. And, and then um, one of my old friends contacted me and said that she was giving up the yard that she had been uh, renting. And would I be interested in taking it on? So I did. Um, so I was what 21 at this point. So I started off uh, my own livery yard and I just began with four or five hunters. And um, another thing that happened at this time was I was invited uh, or asked to go and ride a Welsh cob because he was really naughty and he was bucking his owner off all the time. And this little horse stole my heart, actually, because he, he was such a complicated character. He was really genuinely terrified of everything and everybody. But at the same time, when given the opportunity to uh, be playful and brave and bold, um, he would. And so the owner very kindly sponsored me to start riding him and competing him. So he was 15 hands Welsh cob and we ended up uh, being novice eventing. He could never make the time, but um, he jumped clear around quite a few novice events um, and was placed a lot in um, pre-novice events. And he, we got to the point in our relationship uh, after me falling off him a lot of times and him bolting with me and all sorts of things where I could have been facing backwards and he'd have taken me over, over anything. He was an amazing horse and he, he really taught me about listening and understanding that horses can be, they can be really emotionally deep and they can be very afraid of things, but with right support, they can become very brave. And what have been some of the things that you have learned to help with that? So this is, this is great because this is like how you 
learned it, what you did with it, but um, what did you actually do to, to help that horse? And what were the kind of things that you do that are perhaps different or your ways of working that, that mean that you're able to get that kind of result? Um, well, the first thing was uh, he, he didn't like to be caught. No one could catch him. Um, so I had to learn, I had to learn how to become interesting enough for him to want to hang out with me. So I would just go and sit in the field with, with him, um, and, and not, not have any intention, not have any plan, uh, because I couldn't, I couldn't plan. I never knew whether I'd be able to catch him or not. So I just used to go and sit in the field. And if he came to me, I'd put a head collar on him and we'd go and we'd just go hacking together. Um, and when we did go hacking, uh, I got, I was quite lazy in those days about opening gates. So I just used to jump them. And I discovered from then that he had, a, he really loved jumping. I had a joy for it. Um, so that that's really how I started educating him and getting him to to trust me and and want to be with me and just go and have fun um and then once we got that I started to take him into the arena um because he was trusting me he wasn't afraid his body wasn't braced and this is something else that I I feel very passionate about I can talk a little bit more in a minute about but because the, the fear wasn't there and we'd spent a lot of time getting to know each other. We had a balance. He, he allowed me to change his way of going um, and he allowed me to teach him. But there were one or two occasions uh, where he did bolt with me still in, in the sand arena. Um, if, he, if he wasn't confident or he wasn't balanced he would really lock on to the left rein um and i didn't realize at, at that point that it wasn't lack of suppleness physical suppleness and so i would try to wrestle him into some kind of lateral bend um but the more i did that the more bracy he got because i didn't realize that he was actually holding his body because he was out of balance um, and he, uh, when he got totally frustrated with me, uh, he would just grab hold of that left rein and bolt round the school until I, until I apologised to him, basically. <laughs> yes, they have a way of telling you, don't they? And we're trying to listen, but unless you know that information at that point in time, um, it's very difficult to work out what they're trying to tell us, isn't it? Because, you know, it gets interpreted in so many, so many different ways. And I think one of the really interesting things you were talking about, though, is that, you know, just going and sit in the field and having no no intention, no kind of agenda or anything like that. And the first question that popped into my head was, well, that's all very well if you've got the time to do that sort of thing. So what's the kind of what's some of the common um, objections that that people come up with when you're sort of talking about, you know, perhaps getting to know your horse a little bit better or taking time with them without any kind of agenda or any of that kind of thing? What What's the kind of stuff that you come across with people when it comes to working with them? Well, uh, it's it's the pace of life, I think, today. Um, so I'm going to sound like I'm going to sound like a proper old fart, Jenny, but we um, we all expect faster everything's now. 
communication is instant um, and uh, success is often expected to come much quicker and we can we can expedite success because we have so many more tools now uh, and so much more understanding that we can speed up the education process but uh, the problem is with horses is that they don't they don't have an agenda they don't have a clock it always takes the time it takes. They don't even walk in a straight line when they're trying to get from A to B. They, you know, they wander about. So I say to people that if they, if they want a relationship with their horse, if they want the, the, the real buzz that you get the, in, in your heart in, um, from the partnership, of a horse it's going it will take the time it takes if they just want to go and achieve ribbons then they need to go and buy themselves a schoolmaster a horse that's already been there and done that and then they can educate themselves uh on that horse and learn how to do that particular job um i do remember when i was teaching a lot in the pony club um there was a 11 12 year old girl who had a super talented pony and i really liked him i thought they had a great future together but uh the it was going to take a year or so to get them to be the partnership they needed to be and the mother didn't want to wait for that so she sold that pony and bought one that was um already made and ready to do the job or had some experience and the teenager went on to have success with this pony um, and then she gave up. Uh, my feeling was that I really learned something from that because I thought, well, that's actually fine because uh, what the mother and the child wanted to have was the experience of going to the Horse of the Year show um, and to these top level competitions. It was never about the relationship for them because the, the, guy, the girl gave up. She didn't ever ride again, as far as I know, after that. So it, it, but that's okay, isn't it? That's the journey that they were on. Um, those are not now sort of people who to me for help. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's that idea, isn't it, of the process versus the outcome goal. And, and what you talked about beautifully there was <clears throat> they had an outcome goal. And it's okay to have an outcome goal um and but if you want to achieve that outcome goal sometimes sometimes you've got to speed up the process in some way or another or, or be very honest about it or, or or do things a different way um and i hear this a lot actually i hear this a lot from people that come to me and they've been really successful in pony club days or in younger times as a child they never really had to experience difficulty or anything like that and then when it starts to get hard um they don't have the skills and the resilience and the mental mental tools to deal with difficulty to deal with having to wait for mm -hmm. stuff to deal with things being hard and they come to me and i say but that's okay you know you've just you've just never had to develop them and now you are um but the learning starts now um and i think that's that's so and, and like you say it doesn't matter it's okay it's all right to have an outcome goal and go i want to go and do this thing in a even in a certain time frame so but you've got to get the horse to match and that's where the partnership element comes in isn't it 
yes and actually jenny it works the other way as well <clears throat> because um I, i've had students who have created this amazing relationship with their horse and they've achieved things together and then uh, the rider wants to achieve more they set their sights higher um, but the horse actually isn't capable he's not enough of an athlete to move up to the next level and sometimes it's difficult to get the riders the owners to accept that that it's it's not in the interests of the horse. It's not, not good welfare for the horse for you to push him up to that next level, to go from 100 to novice, for example, or novice to intermediate, because the, the horse actually has run out of ability um, and it's not kind to ask him to do that. But the problem that the rider then often has is that they've, they've got to this point because of the relationship, the partnership that they've acquired with this horse and they have the confidence to move up to the next level because of the horse. So that's a real dilemma. Then they need then to go and find another horse um, that is capable of taking them up to the next level and go through that whole process again of establishing the relationship. Yeah, and that, I think that's one of the hardest things. So I lost my mare. She got me into low-level eventing. I'd never done it, and, and I did the Wobbleberry Challenge with her, so she got me into it. And then one April, um, she got kicked in the field, and that was it. 45 minutes later, she was gone. And it was so completely out of the blue. And, you know, she was – we had built that relationship together. So I'd had her five or six years, and, and for a few of those, I hadn't jumped at all um, because, actually, quite frankly, she frightened me, and I realised this. And then I decided, well, she used to event kind of Pony Club 100s, pre-novice sort of thing. So, you know, she could do it. Um, maybe maybe actually this would be a good thing to do together and she could teach me. And, and by God, did she teach me? She really did. She was fabulous. And, of course, then when I lost her, because it certainly wasn't a choice of mine, but she was 19, you know, she mm. was just about to turn 20. I think it was like a week later or something. I think she went, no, do you know what? I've done my job. I'm out. That's it. You know, <laughs> and... Um, I then had to find another horse and I was not in any way prepared already for that. And I knew, and I even popped up on, you know, Facebook memories that of me saying like, I know I've got to go through this process now. I've got to go through the process of trusting another horse, building that bond again, finding one, you know, getting now serious about what I want to do and finding one that, that can either do that now or that I've got to now go back to not square one, but, you know, kind of build that again. And, and so it was, it was a real time of, like you say, is it the product that I'm after? Is it the outcome that I'm after? Or is it the process? Because I'd reached a point where I wanted to, I wanted to carry on from. I had not chosen to stop. And um, mm. I always say to people, there's this real diff with horses because it's about partnership and we love them and we adore them. You've you've always got to look at, okay, if you've got a goal that you want to hit but that horse isn't able to do it. You've got to think, do I still want that goal? Because then I might have to choose a different horse. Or if it's if it's more important that it's with that horse, then you might have to change or lower your goal. And I think that's, that's something that people, I think, don't realise very often, that firstly, they might have to make those decisions. But secondly, what is it about for them? Is it about going and doing something, improving, going through the levels, doing something like that? It's not necessarily even winning, but, you know, improving going or is it about the horse and the partnership and neither of which is wrong that's fine but it's really tough isn't it yeah 
It is. It's really tough. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things that I wanted to ask you then, we're talking about challenges, overcoming things. What then, um, what's been the hardest part about what you do and what the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome in your time doing what you do, do you think? Um, <laughs> oh, that's, yes, that's, I, I would say probably the biggest challenge for me has been personally self-confidence and self-belief. It's something I struggle with actually on a, on a, not a daily basis, but uh, all the time. And one of the reasons for it is that I think um, those of us who are uh, goal-driven and relatively high achievers is that we always look forward. We always want to be better. So we're always looking at the next step, the next uh, goal. And we don't take enough time to look back and um, give ourselves a pat on the back for what we actually have achieved. Um, and I was talking to one of my students the other day who is a show jumper and she is also training for her BHS exam. So, I, you know, I mentor her and we, she, she's done a great job with this young horse that she's producing now. He's jumping uh, 140s now. He hasn't been easy. He's been tricky to go uh, to get his brain on side. Athletically, he's great. Anyway, uh, she, she rode him so well, and he really gave his mind and his body to her on this particular training occasion, and he was really happy to do it, and the partnership was fantastic. And I said to her, Kate, you know, we should give ourselves a pat on the back for this. We've really done a good job here. And she said to me, oh, do you know what? Thanks for that, Liz, because I'm always beating myself up for not doing a good enough job. Um, and uh, I always feel I could, I could do better. And of course, we can always do better. That's that's the point, isn't it? We need to keep searching for the answers. We need to keep trying to be um, <clears throat> more empathetic, better athletes, um, better partners for our horses, better coaches, whatever it is we're doing. Um, but we should recognise how far we've come because if we can give ourselves a little bit of credit, we go out the next day with a bit more confidence and then we we do the job better and, and uh, we can give our confidence, our positive uh, energy to both the horses and the riders. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really key, isn't it? And I think that's one of the reasons I advocate doing things like journaling or just noting something down each day. It doesn't even have to be anything big because what you do, and, and actually this is why a lot of people like Facebook or Instagram and things like that, because it does follow your story and you can stop and look back and go, gosh, look at the comparison there, or God, how far have we come? Because it kind of, it forces you to do it. Um, mm. And I think it's so key, isn't it? It really is that, you know, I've worked with so many professional riders that will not give themselves a pat on the back because they're like, no, I can't do that. I've got to do more. I've got to be better. And it's like, well, okay, you're just going to live a life of, you're on a treadmill, like a hamster wheel, because you're not never stopping and smelling the roses. You know, that's what it's meant to be yeah. about. So what would you say, another curveball question for you here, what's the biggest misunderstanding, do you think, in what you do or in your industry? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, I think we've got a little Oops, bit of sorry. lag on him. That's all right. Lost you there, Jenny. That's okay. Are we back now? Yeah. What was then? What would you say? Yeah. Is the what would you say is the biggest perhaps misunderstanding in what you do or in your your area of expertise? Um, oh, biggest misunderstanding of me? Do you mean sorry or or no at all? Misunderstanding from Both. my from my clients. Both either or I don't mind. <laughs> okay. Right. So okay. So I. I think that by some uh, some people that I'm perceived to be too soft and not uh, progressive enough um, with the horses that that's that's for sure um, the biggest misunderstanding because uh, people who are looking for a quick fix will come to me and I won't give them one um, because. In, in my experience, there is no quick fix. It's actually better to take take the time it takes. I'm sure you've heard that quote from from somebody. But um, uh, to get the job done properly in the early stages, build the foundations correctly, and then everything um, later on will go much quicker. The problem is when people come to me and they're looking for a solution is because they've hit a brick wall in their training with their horse, whether it's in their relationship with their horse or the horse's athletic abilities, he's reached um, a block. And there isn't a quick fix here. Always the problem comes back down to the basics, the fundamentals. So uh, having to go back like that takes a lot more time than it does if you um, are effective in building your foundation at the beginning. It might take you longer then, but you'll progress quicker later on. Yeah, totally agree with that one, that it's about getting the right foundations. And the problem is if you don't know what the right foundations are or you don't feel like making any progress on them, how do you help people with that feeling like they're either going backwards or they're not going forward? How do you help someone in that with with the horse or the the rider um how oh that's a really big question jenny <laughs> that's a massive question um okay so my, my first thing is to say to them you're not you're not going backwards and um just stop just take a a deep breath and stop and let's analyze uh, where things are going wrong for you and your horse. Where, where is the physical or emotional or combination problem coming from? And uh, it's very often just that something very simple has gone wrong that needs fixing um, that has been ignored over a period of time. And the rider's doing their best to um fix the symptoms correct the symptoms but they haven't got to the root cause of the problem so we just stop we strip everything right back uh to whether the horse is working physically at his optimum is he really in balance or is he struggling all the time to just to keep his weight over all four feet or cope with something that the rider's doing in his body which means that he's just hit that point of overload. You can't add anything else to it. 
And if we can strip it back to that place and fix it, uh, they'll they'll move on really, really quickly. Awesome. That sounds good. So you so you're very good then at stripping things back and looking at the foundations and working out where there was a shortcut or um, something wasn't quite in properly, or maybe they took a step too soon and coming back to that point, just reestablishing what's needed. Okay. And you mentioned emotional. So we, so we can all understand like there's this concept of biomechanics and the way that two bodies work together. And I think most horse riders now understand that biomechanics is a thing, which is good. Um, but what about the emotional element of it then? Because people go, oh, you know, oh, that's fluff. Um, emotion's got nothing to do with it. Just crack on. The horse needs to do as it's told. I mean, we still, still, there is still a little bit of, you know, don't let the horse get away with it because they've won or they're being a bit of an arse and all this kind of thing. I think hopefully more and more that's disappearing now. But how how do you how do you address emotional side of things because most people think oh god you know i get away from riding to get away from emotion not to connect with it more um what what do you do when it comes to the emotional element how important is that okay i can indeed yeah so we've talked about the physical and most people understand the physical and the idea of biomechanics and the way that two bodies have got to work together really well so most people get that now but when we mention emotion and horses, a lot of people still think that that's fluff. Like there's no room for emotion in horses. You've got to just get on with it. Even things like, you know, people still say stuff around, oh, they're just being just being an arse or they're just being stupid or, you know, that, um, or just crack on with it, get on with it. And, and I think, I do think that's starting to disappear or not disappear, but it's certainly starting to get a lot less now. But you mentioned yeah. emotion a minute ago and I thought great let's ask you more about emotion then where does emotion have a place in horse riding then well <clears throat> should we talk about the rider to begin with um I think that it's very easy for people to uh, recognize that when they have a time pressure on riding their horse when they come home from a busy day of work um, and they're stressed and they've been in the car and they've only got 40 minutes to ride their horse before they've got to be home for the kids or whatever, that they don't uh, have a successful training session. It's quite easy to point, to ask questions of people and get them to come to that conclusion themselves that once they um, are under time pressure or they're stressed that the horse never gives them what they want and that's usually my my shoe in actually to start saying to them do you think your horse picks up on on your feelings on your um emotions your energies and usually when they think about it they can say well yeah especially in the competition arena you know that uh, old uh, chestnut he went so well in the warm-up and then i got into the arena and it all fell apart um, so you can usually draw people's attentions to the fact that the horse is picking up on their energies and emotions quite, quite easily. The next part of that journey then is to um, encourage them and support them in finding ways in which they can uh, go on a journey for themselves of being able to manage their fear, manage their competitiveness manage their adrenaline um, and away from the horse and then bring that to the horse. 
once you start getting people thinking about themselves, it's then relatively easy to uh, say to them, do you think your horse might be experiencing a lack of confidence here? Do you think your horse might uh, actually be bored in the school? Um, what, what does he like to do? What's, what's his personality? And if you can start getting people to think along those lines, then you can begin to educate them. Um, another way of doing it is for those people who are scientifically minded, uh, you can actually talk about it on a chemical level. Um, the fact that um, horses are dopamine addicts, for example, same as we are to a certain extent, and that during training, if um, you can release the pressure at the right moment that the horse has given you the desired behaviour, you get a release of dopamine and the horse will then continue to, to look for that um, behaviour again that uh, resulted in his, him getting a dopamine hit. So you can, you, can, you can approach it in many ways depending on the personality of, of the rider and the human. Yeah, I love that. And and what what kind of people do you get come to you that you really love to work with then? What are the type of people that you, you really click with, you really gel with, and you get great results with? Um, it's the people that look for that partnership element with their horse. Um, and the people that have got some kind of personal insight. Um, a little bit spiritual, maybe, if I, if you don't mind me using that word, or people don't mind me using that word, where people are aware of their own personal journey, wherever that's taking them. So I help I help international competitors as well as grassroots riders. I, I train the Croatian dressage team, which is another sort of story of of a journey. But um, the people that get the best results are the ones who are looking to have the best, most harmonious partnership with their horses and that they're prepared to think outside the box, outside the, the traditional methods of training themselves and their horses. Lovely, that's awesome. Okay, so I'm intrigued now. Tell us about the Croatian dressage team. How did you end up training them? That's, that's a slightly unheard of team yet so far <laughs> yeah. well um has anybody ever watched uh, cool runnings there was a film made a few years ago about the jamaican bobsleigh team uh where they um uh, the guy failed to get into the summer olympics but he was desperate to be an olympian and it's a true story and so uh four four crazy jamaican guys managed to to um learn to bobsled without ever even going to um, um uh to to a, a snowy country um well the croatian dressage uh, um, team is a little bit <laughs> a little bit like that uh, we don't have very much um financial backing it's a very small country um recovering still actually from the war in the 90s but i i got out there through the natural horsemanship uh connection uh i was 
uh, part, part, another role that I have is that I teach the anatomy and physiology for the School of Equine Shiatsu, which was started by a very good friend of mine back in 1999, I think. Um, and she, she has a lot of uh, Eastern European people coming over to study Shiatsu because they are, well, it's, it's better now, but um, their access to top quality veterinary care is limited. Um, and so they're, they're much closer to nature, actually, in the way that they use um, Eastern medicine as prevention and keeping their horses healthy. So anyway, uh, I, I got to know one of these girls particularly well, and um, she watched me teach and then asked me if I would go over to Croatia and start training there. So the first time I, I went out there, um, I had a real mixture because I had one girl who came uh, bridleless uh, for a lesson. Um, so she had a saddle, but uh, rode with just a savvy string around the neck. And on the same day, I trained one of their dressage judges on her advanced stallion. So um, I, I, my methods will fit in wherever uh, people have an open mind and a desire to have a good partnership with their horse. So that was in 2013. Uh, and in uh, 2019, I guided the team uh, to an individual gold medal at the Vulcan Championships. Wow, amazing. That's fantastic. So it sounds to me then like you are happy to explore the edges and the areas that other people won't go because for whatever reason. And so then you are the one saying, hey, look, there's some stuff over here you might not have seen or look, there's a bit here no one ever talks about and and kind of go there and, and look at that whole picture. And, you know, there is a very spiritual element to it. Some people completely, you know, brush it off but most people if they're honest with themselves you look at the top people that work with horses there is something there there's a connection there is something that's spiritual they may not openly talk about it but you get behind the scenes and you find out that it is um it's just not something in western culture i think it's changing it really is changing that there's this this context of you know there's body there's mind there's emotion and there's there's spirit whatever that is that that makes a big difference so to round it all off, then, what's been your biggest, biggest learning, you think, or your most favourite, favourite learning that you've had in the journey that you've had to get you to where you are today? Um, I, I always tell people when I introduce myself, I've got I've got these qualifications. I'm, I'm a BHS, I performance coach and um, I'm training for my fellowship and um and I'm lucky enough to be able to learn from some of the, the, the best people in the, in the world I've trained with. But my best teacher has been the horse. Um, I'm just a student of the horse. And uh, every time I, I meet a horse, uh, I'm humbled by their willingness to give to us human beings. And... Um, by how much that they, they uh, accept from us and how much I still have to learn. That old saying, pride comes before a fall, was obviously written, wasn't it, by a horseman. <laughs> uh, every time I think I know what I'm doing, 
I meet a horse that I have to find other answers for. I have to, to dig deeper or search broader to find an answer to, to help this horse on his way. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to the horse and to the people that allow me to help them. Um, I'm just really lucky. And I think that's probably a really lovely point to stop actually for today. So thank you so much, Liz. I mean, we have literally just scratched the surface. We haven't even got into a lot of the sort of the technical side of what you do or anything, but I just kind of felt like actually we could tell people stuff like that. But really, we needed to sort of look around what makes you you as well. You know, that's kind of felt more important to find out more about how you got to where you are and, and what it is that you're doing rather than the what and the how. Um, so thank mm. you so much for, for sharing with us. Um, and if people want to get a hold of you, if they're thinking, God, you know, I really resonate with this woman. I need to get in touch with her. Um, or maybe they're thinking, yeah, I've got one of those horses right now where I'm going mm, reach the edge of what I know. I think I'm going to have to be open minded, think outside the box or something different here. How do they get a hold of you, Liz? Uh, equitation with empathy. Uh, Facebook page. They can get hold of me there or um, my Facebook page, Liz Eaton. That's the best way you can send me a message. Perfect. Equitation with empathy. Awesome. Fab. Well, thank you so, so much, Liz. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. And uh, thank you for bearing with even with technical things as they often are. Um, and right. we look forward to, that's all right. We look forward to, to hearing more from you and seeing more of you in the future. So thanks very much, Liz. Take care. Bye-bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone.